Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at thestartupfactory.tech. So welcome to episode 19 of From the Factory Floor, joined today by, I don't know if I should call him stalwart or co-host at this point, Ian, seems to be on all the podcasts these days, doesn't get a breather. And today's topic is all about one of our startups that we've worked with, and it's about going from academia to being an entrepreneur and founder. So I'm very pleased to welcome Tom. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me along, and it's good to see you both. Just for everyone else out there, Tom, do you want to just give us a really brief intro to you, who you are, what you do? I will try. So <laughs> my name is Tom, Tom Agnamara. I think they're laughing in the background because I tend to do kind of quite a lot of different activities. But basically, I've worked in quite a lot of different sectors, worked in everything from kind of manually moving snow and ice to the leisure sector to R&D and now into the, the world of startups. So I'd say I'm probably jack all trades, master of none, and that seemingly qualifies me quite nicely for being a startup founder. <laughs> a little bit of humility there, Tom. He's a master of none. I'd say he's an expert in everything, as we'll soon discover. So I think I've had some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with Tom about a whole range of subjects. So it's definitely an element of uh, humility there. So, so Tom, your uh, startup's called Free Up World. What is Free Up? What does it do? What's, what, what's your re- raison d'etre almost? My reason for being. Basically, Free Up's a technology company that measures the real world and then makes that information available online. So um, this allows other companies to adopt better or more automated processes, allowing to worry about all the kind of technical fiddly bits. I'm always kind of open to making new products. And really, this was essentially born out of my interest in seemingly everything. But also, I have a kind of um, special place in my heart for automation and efficiency, just because it's pleasing in and of itself. And in all the different jobs I've kind of had previously, there was always some automation that would have been really useful, but only a nerd would have built it. And then I never would have got the the payback in time by building it. So I thought, wouldn't it be good if there was an entity or a company that helped people automate the collection of information and kind of deliver that in a way that could be used by the average, non-technical, maybe not that interested person? It's a really good example, Tom, of an innovation and an entrepreneur that has identified a problem to be solved and just crafted something that at face value looks so simple and so obvious. That's one of the attractive things about entrepreneurship is that there are just lots of opportunities out there, lots of problems waiting to be solved that nobody you know, has, has bothered to tackle. That's always kind of grabbed me about your curiosity and your mindset. You kind of have a laser-like ability to kind of spot something and then the curiosity uh, and your thinking power really kind of fine-tune a solution. When you think about a problem, it takes almost no effort and no time and no cost to just kind of sit down with a glass of wine, whatever beverage you want, a book or TV or kind of whatever you want to interface with information or the internet and just have a think about any subject. It could be space travel, kind of building a house, going to the moon, whatever. And it doesn't require any investment. And you can just think, what if we did this? How could we do it better? And then actually you can triage a lot of problems regardless of, of how um, grandiose they are into actually does it make sense or not. And, and then you can start to actually look into making a difference or making a change. But actually, you can make a lot of that journey without actually literally lifting a finger, which is, has always kind of interested me, that we have all this technology to hand. And actually, you can access most of humanity's knowledge with any phone, which most people have. And I just think it's kind of a really exciting time to be alive with all of that on hand 
and you don't even need to go to a library or anything more, which always sounds very boring libraries, but actually it's the same on your phone, but just because it's kind of glowing and with a blue backlight, it's just more interesting. There's a really interesting takeaway there for anyone who's kind of thinking about doing their first startup or has got a an in, interest. What you just said there, what if we did this? How might we? Asking those questions are the, are the really building blocks, I think, of someone who's got an idea and they want to do something. And as you say, the ability to research and delve and find out and look at other things around that space to inform you, there's never been an easier and a better time to actually do that. And I think that's a really interesting first takeaway, Tom, that you know you don't need to be a specialist in a subject. You can have, have an insight and then you can go and find. But asking questions is the key part of the startup. What's the problem solving? What if we did this? How might we? And I think that's really one thing which has been one of the standout qualities, I think, working with you, you've always had that path of, of, of inquiry. So how did FreeUp come to obviously work with TSF? Because I remember obviously when we first started, you obviously one of the first startups we actually worked with. How was it you came across Ian and TSF in general to help with what you were doing? Making the conversation kind of pleasingly semicircular at this point, it was in a quest for knowledge that couldn't be satisfied <laughs> through books or the internet. Um, so it meant that I did have to lift a finger and two feet and kind of go out to various events. So again, maybe they're kind of slightly controversial. I don't know who else has been speaking on this podcast series, but when I started FreeUp on day one to just take a step back, went through various processes, which we can touch upon if your listeners are interested before this point. But then essentially on the first day of FreeUp, my role was to sit down at a computer load up Chrome and then type into Google how to start a company because I knew nothing about it, but just kind of had decided to do it. So that was literally the starting point. So with no business experience, no contacts in the technology sector or or anything um, else in that fashion, basically set out how to set up a company, obviously legally and all those types of things. And then basically went out to try and find funding to get people to kind of give me um, critical feedback, stuff that I wouldn't want to hear, but you'd want to hear. And so you kind of fail as quickly as possible. And it was basically through the University of Manchester's kind of internal networks that the training course came up and I attended and met in for the first time. Little did me or Ian know that we'd still be kind of in this much contact years later. And then we went through like the various talks. And actually um, from that, it was a really important moment for it because to the University of Manchester on that course, obviously met Ian, but also we won a um, small grant. And the amount of money wasn't really important. But it was the first time that someone else had basically validated the value of Freeup and what we could do and actually given me a check with real money to go and do kind of real things in the world. So that was kind of both great for meeting Ian and also for getting that kind of positive feedback that actually there was value in what I was trying to do. Yeah, it must be about five years now, Tom, four or five years. So uh, I uh, ran a programme with the University of Manchester for PhD students who had knowledge, had an awareness, had a, a passion and who didn't necessarily know what the next step in their career was. And Tom was one of those students. So I used to run a cohort of about 12 to 15 PhD students four times a year, how to start a startup from the principles of, you know, setting up the limited company, but also what's your proposition, how you go to market, why are you different, and, and some of the fundamentals of finance. And me and Tom just hit it off, and it's one of those recurring themes, James, that we've talked around people and, and connecting with people and, and building that, that network of, of skills and contacts around you as you go forward. I mean, Tom kind of just had that that drive and that determination. And I loved the fact of his experimental and his science background. And the idea was just elegantly simple. 
as well. I mean, I keep coming back to that. You know, the best ideas are the simple ideas. But from yeah, from that program, we we kind of beavered away, and then he, he kind of came into our TSF incubator, and we started to build the you know the initial version of the of the product. I'll never forget that tin of beans with a camera strapped to it, looking at a uh, picture. Literally, I think it was just printouts of dials. And obviously, the whole sort of premise of making sort of low, you know, low tech, old, older machines into almost IoT devices. But I'll never forget that, and obviously, seeing the iterations while Tom's been working with us from sort of that stack of stack of beans and some of tape to it in the most MacGyvery way possible. Through to sort of the sort of things that exist now, and the amount of times that words are getting banded about, which I've never heard of before, like turbidity, as an example. I never knew what turbidity was until uh, this, and I seem to use it every other week. I'll let Tom explain a bit more about that. I think for me, the the thing I'd like to kind of get the listener to focus on, though, is kind of you know a startup is an experiment. You, you do start off with a hypothesis: what if? How might we? And then you mentioned then, James, the iteration and the learning and, and how you kind of progress. And I think one of the qualities that Tom has got, given we're kind of talking about the journey from academia to entrepreneurship, is that mindset, that, that mindset of curiosity, of science, of research and, and of thinking. But, you know, you don't need to be a PhD student. You just you follow the kind of the scientific method and, and really kind of focus on, you know, being a broad thinker but have some narrow goals and then focus on what it is you want to do. So, yeah, in those early days, that, that first dial, Tom, and the, and the first camera, and the static stuff we had up in the office. But, yeah, I mean, just, Tom, just tell us a little bit more about the journey, really, how you developed the original idea, and you know, two, three years on where you're at. The original idea came about because in academic R&D, there's a lot of very technical instruments, and so they're horrendously, if not kind of eye-wateringly expensive, um, as are the maintenance cost and all the activities. And basically, to get to that point, it's like any profession, but you spend about kind of eight years then to various exams and just kind of learning about science to be able to use that equipment. But fundamentally, using it is quite a straightforward activity. Once you know how to do it, it's basically like anything, really. And a colleague was saying that they had to basically wait until this device was kind of ready for them. And the amount of time it took to be ready was anywhere between one minute and 40 minutes. So basically, they would literally be in, in the office next to this device and keep walking through it every five minutes to see if it was ready. And they just wanted a way to be notified when it was. And it seemed kind of quite tragic that someone who spent so many years training to be a scientist was literally just doing the laps through the lab to see if it was ready. So then I started thinking about, could we automate it? And then got very excited and, and carried away. And I realized that we could. And then kind of came to this re- realization point, really, that there are a lot of people in completely different careers and specialisms that spend a lot of time and effort becoming specialists to only then squander their time by being kind of bogged down by really inefficient workflows. And again, wouldn't it be good if there was a company that helped people automate these problems away? So then from my kind of background, I'm growing up on a farm and kind of having a few more mechanically minded jobs, thought it would be really useful if we had a a little widget, a box that kind of had a camera, and then basically would look at a dial or gauge and then automate the output. Because what this would mean is that if you'd ever seen any equipment, whether it's your home boiler or a pasteurizer or, or whatever that machinery was that had a dial, you could then put down the free up sensor and automate the output. And it would just allow the kind of average person without knowing how anything works just to automate their equipment. And it just seemed like a very simple offering. And since then, we've expanded into other sectors and making other products. The simpler the idea at times, and it's why sort of obviously the name was great. And I know some of the uh, marketing you've done, Tom, and one of the other strings you've added to your bow during your uh, journey with FreeUp. 
it is just how simple the idea is and the premise of it, but how simple it is almost means it's almost limitless in its applications. Yeah, because the other thing I say, there's kind of two points really that we've touched upon, but I'd like to kind of make more crystal clear. One of them is that at the very beginning of this podcast, I was discussing about how you can kind of entertain any idea at no cost. And I think one of the barriers you have to overcome as a founder or kind of if you want to go down this route is really the self-belief that if you read enough and you kind of teach yourself enough, you are as qualified as someone else. And one of the hardest things is finding a problem, thinking you found a solution to it, and then not discrediting the fact that you have actually found a new and improved way of doing it and that some other kind of air quote expert hasn't built it. Therefore, you must be wrong. So I think that's quite important is kind of actually knowing that you can make better solutions. And also um, regarding the cameras um, strapped side of um, baked bean tins, I think when like before you start this process, when you look at things, you think, well, you, it needs to kind of be this kind of glossy finished product with like loads of buzzwords and some, like suited people with kind of PhDs and things. But when we do kind of scale up further with Frip, we're going to have some kind of um, clear cabinets in reception, which show the first versions of everything we made, which will be baked bean cans and cameras and literally duct tape. <laughs> and I think then it'll be that anyone kind of coming into that reception hall will see that actually innovation does start in living rooms, in kitchens, with baked bean tins, another very, very low technology, not even technology. It doesn't start at some kind of high-level boardroom with kind of snazzy charts and things. Because I think, again, that misconception puts a lot of people off from ever incrementally improving anything, which I think is possibly the worst outcome at all, really, with innovation. Yeah, I think your, your journey, Tom, is testament to the fact of determination, hard graft, and sheer bloody-mindedness, quite frankly, of three of the kind of the personal qualities to just get stuff done. And where we are today, I mean, we've just hired our, our first employee with Lucas, which again is a real milestone for a startup to, to bring somebody on board. But we're now kind of looking at two or three different products, looking at commercialization. We've moved from prototype to piloting to paid pilots. Just just tell us a little bit more about the you kind of the highs and lows of the commercialization aspect of it, you know, the, the last 12 months especially where you know, us kind of talking twice a week, it's just been relentlessly enthused and energised. But what are some of the, the barriers that you've, you've hit? I think some of the barriers are, it's, it's that old um, adage of a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So if you are doing technology, it's quite an undertaking because not only do you have to make a company that actually works, which is something in, in and of itself, you also need to either acquire or actually create a technology that also works independent of the company and both have to work for the whole thing to work so actually you've kind of almost doubled the problem in some sense um, if you're coming at this from a more a academic perspective you'll actually be focused on making the technology work and fundamentally and quite tragically people aren't really interested and don't really care how it works and they're only interested if it doesn't work which is obviously not the greatest for morale and things and then once it does work they just presume that it will work the way you said it will and I think one of the biggest kind of barriers or lowest points really is kind of dealing with other people in other businesses. Because again, if you're kind of in academia, you're used to working with teams of people that have a certain time commitment to doing something. Or if you work in an organization or with friends and family, again, you've kind of got those commitments. If they say yes, it really means yes. Whereas when you start to engage with external businesses, the person on the other end of the phone or at the meeting may genuinely mean yes, both kind of morally and from a business perspective. So you take that home as, oh, it's in the bank, we're all good. And then their boss or their kind of boss's boss then just doesn't like it and says no for no reason that was ever on the table when you spoke with them. So you spend all this effort making the damn technology work. You've got all the funding to get that to happen. You've got all the timelines to match up. 
and you've moved everything to get that to work. And then someone you've never met and could never even speak to has just decided no on a random kind of Wednesday afternoon that, that, that they don't want to do it anymore. So that's actually really difficult. So I'd say with a technology company, you have to actually make sure the technology delivers, but also dealing with people kind of behind the table that you never meet is one of the hardest things because you often only get access to them once the deal's kind of basically gone through anyway. So it's, it's a very interesting problem, but one that I didn't really anticipate as fully as maybe I could have setting out on this journey. And I think that's, that's a really interesting point, Tom. I think any startup faces that, that kind of that hurdle to get that first sale made and the enthusiasm, the passion you have and when you don't get that, that back. So I think one of the differences that I've seen in you, which again is an important reflection, I think, for people in academia that are looking to become an entrepreneur is tenacity. It's not, you know, you've never lacked self-belief and, and drive and determination, but kind of when you get that indifference fed back to you, when you're at the moment, when you think I'm making that first sale, you know, when you when, when that indifference comes back, or that, that, that answer isn't as linear as you expect it to be, tenacity, I think, is one of the key things. And you've, you've shown that in buckets. And I also love some of the, I mean, I mean you know, talk, there's some lovely stories. If you go onto the uh, Free Up World website, you'll see a lovely intro video, which I think captures the, the proposition, but also the spirit and the energy of what Free Up's about. And I think energy is another thing that you really need. Energy, tenacity, curiosity, I think are the three qualities that you've got, which are, will, will make you and Free Up a success. But um, yeah, I think there's some, some good points there. I think the the journey, the build, measure, learn, the iteration, the validation. But at the end of the day, Tom, it's what you've got in your heart. It's your passion. It's your drive. And I, and I think, you know, academics have got a lot of that. They've got specialist knowledge. But have they got that passion and the drive to make a difference? And again, I think, I think you've got it in, in bundles. Thank you. And I would say um, anyone listening from an um, academic um, background, you've spent years and years becoming incredibly precise with everything you do and used to having meetings about a single word. And I feel like kind of most other sectors aren't that precise. Great power comes great responsibility. Um, I think one of the biggest problems going from academia to business is actually being able to wield that tool correctly. So in academia, we're basically trained to basically do a research project where you may have an inkling in the first year as to what, what the outcome is going to be, but then you spend the next three years making sure that it's definitely the right outcome. Whereas in business, it's, it's a kind of 80-20 rule. So you spend about 20% of the effort to make sure that you get 80% of the progress. So I think as an academic, you have to remember that you have a level of precision that most people won't be able to wield because they're not used to being that precise, which means that when it comes down to contracts or corrections or even deals, I kind of feel like you'll be able to kind of see that detail much more finely. But you also need to be able to have the self-control to turn it off and not obsess over things that are wrong and basically push things through when they're 80% complete it sounds terrible and from a scientific standpoint would be like would be a really, really bad outcome. But it does mean that if you can push things through at 80% completion as a kind of pseudo-academic in the business world, you have that precision which you can bring to bear should you wish to, but actually don't kind of lose focus and just focus on that for the sake of it, because then that will actually probably bring down the entire project. Yeah, I think the University of Manchester, you know, you go into the old building on Sackville Street. And there's the, the flags with all the names. There's about 30 Nobel Prize winners that have come from the, the, the science faculties of Manchester. It's truly inspirational. Uh, obviously, in, in recent years, we've had graphene coming out of Manchester. So not set the bar too high, Tom, but that's, that's my aspiration for you and Free Up, where, where I do think you can go as an individual and, and, and as a business. So 
again, you know, I think from an academic to entrepreneur, set your sights high, really kind of have that passion and commitment and expect great things from yourself. And I think you've always had that inner drive. And that's why it's been really good fun working with you as we've developed, you know, two, three different versions of the product. We've obviously worked on the software. We are working with hardware partners. We've got our first employee. You are really a good example of how someone can flourish in that academic entrepreneur journey. Do you want to just kind of give us a few contact details so anyone listening to this who's who is an academic can get in touch with you and, and give us the, the free up website address? Yes, of course. So if you go to freeup.world and then there's a um, contact form there, feel free to um, fill that in. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, my email address is tom.mcnamara at freeup.world. It's McNamara, so M-C-N. Um, there's no A in the middle because that's a Scottish spelling, which is an entire podcast in and of itself. And again, this is another really good demonstration of Ian kind of very subtly trying to give me tips on how, like, how to do marketing and PR better. Because as an academic, I'm just happy to kind of ramble on about all the technical aspects. I'm not very good at kind of pushing myself or the product. <laughs> so it's even in this podcast, another learning point for me and free up. And quite frankly, as many people as possible should see the advert that you managed to put together, Tom, because it's one of the few things working through I had a genuine belly laugh watching it it's good so like the so there are actually some some extra aspects to that that i don't think people have realized i'll leave that as a kind of mystery point right there <laughs> but also it even fits into kind of a great scheme and again so um on the advert there's this um spoof company called dialowell which you, you'll all see um if you choose to watch the advert and again it was just a little bit of fun we actually got the domain for dialowell so actually when we have more time we can actually then put kind of genuine pain points that people have with dials on the spoof dialowell website so actually it's a kind of fully um functioning platform and i think just kind of having that little bit of fun and knowing why you're doing what you're doing is really important and kind of as as ian said i think as a founder one of the huge privileges you have is that you basically get to define what you're trying to do so obviously you have kind of charities which aren't really companies but they do what they do companies aimed at just kind of profit companies aimed at kind of changing various things but really your company should do whatever you want it to and the privilege you get is that you don't have to aim for one particular thing. You, you get to aim for whatever you want to. And again, with Freeup, it's about this kind of quite grandose um, scaling and making everything work just kind of very smoothly, very efficiently, but also not losing sight of the fact that people are people at, at the end of the day and kind of having a little bit of fun along the way, I, I think really matters rather than having just some kind of very bland, faceless organization, which may be incredibly efficient, but just isn't quite as engaging and isn't quite the mission of Freeup either. Okay. I think we're at the usual point. We like to wrap these things up now. So in almost, I say signature way, but at least the way we've done it so far. Tom, is there any sort of, because we've covered a lot of uh, ground in this, is there any particular one piece of advice that you'd have given your past self to sort of navigate moving from academia to founder or just advice in general that someone listening to you might listen to go, actually, that's a really good point. I think... My one piece of advice really would be just begin. Like, there will never be a perfect moment. There will never be a perfect time. But if you don't just start, at least on some level, then I think actually you'll end up spending a lot of time and never quite finishing. I kind of meant to maybe start free up kind of a few days earlier or maybe even a week earlier, but basically did it then when my contract finished. And I think it's really easy, especially if you're in a high-paid job, have children, et cetera, and other dependents, that um, that wouldn't be the best time to start and there'd be reasons not to. But I think also everyone's lives kind of go through a journey they don't really expect or anticipate and sometimes just beginning is the kind of first thing um, to get you along that road and again with free up 
because I just kind of basically finished my previous position, took out um, some savings and just started just by the action alone. I think I gained kind of potentially more credibility with Ian, but obviously I can't speak on his behalf and others by actually just starting it rather than kind of half starting it and not really committing fully to the process. Yeah, my, my takeaway is kind of aligned to that, Tom, really. I think it's, I'd, I'd say, believing yourself. You know, we talked about all about the background, the passion, the drive, but believing in yourself that, and, and making a start. If you believe in yourself and you can see there's an opportunity, there's never a wrong or a right time. Make a start and follow your passion and never give up. Very good, chaps. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Got Tom's uh, contact details there, so... I think our next episode, I think you're back again, Ian. I think I'll have to give you the honorary title of co-host by this point. Relentless. It's relentless, this. And I should get used to it. This will be episode number 20. And uh, I think we're bringing back Elliot and talking all about uh, building first revenue budgets. So obviously something that Tom's been through. And thank you very much for your time today, Tom. I know you're uh, busy trying to sort everything out with Freel. Hopefully we'll get to speak to you again soon. Indeed, um, my absolute pleasure. And yes, um, anyone who wants to start this process, please do, because it's one of the best things I've ever done in my professional career. I couldn't say anything better myself. Cool. And thank you again, Ian. Cheers, folks. Catch you on the next one. I think that just about wraps things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter, at RealTSF, or email at hello at startupfactory.tech, or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat, as ever. Thanks for listening.